on that. Hopefully that'll carry us through here tonight. Well, the title of tonight's message is Opposing Influences. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12. So you can start turning there if you want to. But when you think about influences and the things that have an impact on you in your life and especially your thinking, there's, of course, opposing influences. And you don't live in a bubble. That's a fact, even though you might desire to. Even though different people experience different levels of isolation, different people are integrated with people more or less. Not everybody has the same number or types of interactions or frequency, I would say, of interactions with others, but you're still not living alone. No man is an island unto himself. You don't live in a bubble. And so everyone is subject to influences of various kinds from various sources. And as you think about those influences in your life, they can either be positive or they contribute positively or they can contribute negatively to your spiritual well-being. And as we gather here as a family of faith, we're interested primarily in spiritual matters. And so the types of influences that you are subjected to in your life, they can, again, contribute to that in a positive way or a negative way. Those influences either promote or they discourage your spiritual growth. They either encourage or discourage you spiritually as a whole. Those influences are either godly or ungodly. That's the ultimate conclusion or sort of the final step in that if we walk down that train of thought. Those influences in your life which are present, which are unavoidable, they are ultimately either godly, meaning they're sourced in God himself, or they're ungodly, meaning they're sourced in the things that are opposed to God or stand in opposition to God. And so you think about some of the godly influences in your life. One of them would be the Holy Spirit. One of them would be the Word of God, which we're opening here tonight. And one of them could, could be or should be spiritual believers, meaning believers that are walking as directed by the Spirit of God, as they're influenced by Him, they're abiding in Him, they're leaning into Him, they're enjoying intimacy with Him, then as you come along them or they come alongside of you, they have the potential to be a positive influence in your life. You note, though, that I say spiritual believers because, of course, the alternative to that is that you have interactions with carnal believers who are not walking by means of the Spirit. They're not being directed by God. They're not focused on the Lord. They're not looking to Jesus in that moment. They're not, they're not fixated on eternal things or bearing in mind or having or operating with a heavenly mindset. They're not focused on eternity. They're caught up in the temporal world. And unfortunately, although they should be a source of encouragement in your life, believers who are not walking as led and directed by the Spirit of God, they can be a detriment to your spiritual well-being. You think about ungodly influences. If the godly influences are the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and spiritual believers, what are some of the ungodly influences? Well, the flesh, which, is repre- which represents itself in terms of human viewpoint or human thinking, a me-first attitude, of course, that's an ungodly influence because it's diametrically opposed to the leading of the Spirit of God, which says you need to have an attitude of humility You need to have an attitude of dependence where you're walking as led and directed by me. You're not leaning on your own understanding. And so, of course, the flesh is me against me, my own worst enemy. Then you have various satanic attacks that are orchestrated through the world system and the people under Satan's sway. And you think about those that are under Satan's sway. Oftentimes, we refer to the Christian spiritual enemies as the world the flesh and the devil, but the world and the devil are effectively the same thing in the sense that it's Satan's who is controlling and influencing the thinking and the behavior and the mentality, especially the mentality of a system that is opposed to and rejects and rebels against God. And so that satanic attack can be orchestrated through a variety of different means, but also by people who are under his sway. Now, you think about being under the sway of Satan and how the type of person who's presently under the sway of Satan could be a negative influence or have a negative effect on your spiritual well-being or could discourage you from experiencing spiritual growth as God intended. Now, who could fall into that category? One that would be described presently as being under the sway of the world 
or Satan? Well, of course, it could refer to unbelievers who, because they're positionally identified with Adam, positionally they're identified with the things that are in opposition to God, they permanently and always are a negative influence in that sense, in the spiritual sense. They're not wired for sound. But also the believer who is presently occupied with this world who is presently thinking with a fleshly, carnal, temporal mindset, who's focused on the horizontal instead of the vertical, that person presently is under the sway of Satan ultimately. And so you think about it positionally, he's identified as being in Christ. Nothing can sever that relationship. He will always be and forever be a child of God, but yet he can clothe himself or be wearing the uniform or clothing that is commensurate with the opposition can actually be putting on the types of things that are reflective of the one who's acting in rebellion or rejection of God in any present point in time. Even though positionally he'll always be God's child, that person, when he's under the sway of the world's influence or the influence or direction of his flesh, that person is not a benefit to himself spiritually or anyone who comes into contact with him. That's why I recall of the few tapes I ever heard messages that were given by a former pastor here at this church, Pastor Radke, one of the tapes he was talking about whether going to call on carnal believers, going to visit carnal believers. And he was joking about it, but he was saying, if you have a choice between calling on a carnal believer or confronting a mother bear robbed of her whelps, choose the bear, is what he said in the tape. And it stuck with me because it was such a vivid visual thing. But the carnal believer is of no benefit to himself. So you think about ungodly influences. One of the things that I want to touch on tonight is that those that are even in the family of faith, children of God can be an an unfavorable or negative influence on other believers when they're not walking by faith. And that's sad because we have enough going against us without being negative influences in each other's life, but that's the sad reality. So when you think about these positive, godly, or ungodly influences, both are always present. You ultimately ultimately determine which to fixate on or be impacted by in the sense that you're being bombarded by each, and then you have to effectively decide, where am I going to fix my gaze? Am I going to fix my gaze on all of these influences that are seeking to distract me from the things of faith, or am I going to fix my gaze vertically on the author and finisher of my faith so that his spirit can lead and direct in my life so that I could live a life that is described as a godly life, that we could be, because we're able to be partakers of the divine nature, because we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that as the spirit is able to work in our lives, we could live lives that would bring God, honor, and glory. Lives that are practically set apart, practically sanctified, practically holy lives, not because of us, but because of what God wants to do in our lives when we have our focus on the right things and we have the right posture of humility instead of a self-focused mentality that says, I can do this on my own. I don't need God. A self-sufficient mentality that says, I'm not in need of God's assistance. So in Psalm 12 here, David is going to describe these two opposing sources of influence he faced. And he's going to also describe his decision to trust God's truth as opposed to the alternative, which are described as the words of the world uh, as I go through this or we go through this together. So let's see how he describes this in Psalm 12. Let's maybe just start by reading it together. It's not a very long psalm, eight verses, but Psalm 12 verse 1 says, Help! Lord, for the ungodly man ceases. For the, faith, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Who have said with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, 
like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. So there you have the contrast between the messaging or the influence of the ungodly world and the word of the Lord. It's going to be a Nice contrast that David seeks to set out for us here tonight as we look at this psalm. So we start with the words of the world. We find those in the first four verses plus verse 8. So we're going to kind of jump and, and join or merge verse 8 into the first four verses because it sort of stands for that category of the thinking or the messaging of the world. So we start with a reminder that ungodliness is the default. And, and this is something I wanted to touch on before we got too far into this. When you think about the influences that the Christian has or the things that are potentially influencing the Christian, godly things and ungodly things, I want you to remember, we have to always know this and be mindful of it, that the default messaging is always the things that are in opposition to God himself because we live in a crooked and perverse world. We live in a sin-cursed world. And by living in a crooked and perverse and sin-cursed world, the messaging that we're constantly bombarded bombarded with as though we're not of this world anymore because our citizenship is in heaven, we are still living in this world. And in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation where the father of lies, Satan himself, is controlling and influencing the messaging and the thinking of the world, when that's what we're living in, we're facing that negative ungodly messaging or influence consistently and constantly that's the default and christians tend to forget this or to let their guard down as it relates to the danger that they're facing with this the world is under the influence of satan and it's easy to forget that if you're if you haven't come across passages talking about that let's turn to first john and look at two passages just so we can do some page turning and also So you can see I'm not making this up as I talk about this idea that the world is under the sway of Satan. So 1 John, let's look at two passages, but let's turn to verse chapter 5 to begin with. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. John is writing to believers. He's writing about how they can experience fellowship with the Father, how that's a privilege that each believer can have, that they could have an intimate relationship presently with God at any moment in time. But also, First John is identifying things that interfere with that, behavior and thinking that would cause you to see that you're not presently enjoying fellowship with the Father while at the same time your mind is being affected by or your thinking is being influenced by the things of the world. So there's some warnings here, but 1 John 5, 19, we read this. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So how much of the world lies under the sway of the wicked one? Well, the whole world and everyone in it who is not presently abiding in or experiencing practically an intimate fellowship with the Father. They are then presently abiding under the sway or the influence. Sway is a kind of a wonderful word, a little bit old-fashioned though in a sense, but it's talking about influence. The whole world lies under the influence or the control or the direction of the wicked one. Now turn to chapter 2, verse 16, 1 John 2, verse 16, and we'll see how the world's thinking is described. Now remember, they're all under the influence or the sway of Satan, verse 16, for all that is in the world, not just some of what's in the world, all that is in the world, and how is it described? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now all of that is not of the Father, but is of the world. If it's not of the Father, then by default, it's of the things that are opposed to the Father. And as we already saw in chapter 5, we're talking about the influence of Satan himself. See, by definition, if the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, and if all that is in the world is not of the Father, then any messaging of the world, by definition, is ungodly. 
To, if it's without God or it's not sourced in God, then by definition it's ungodly. And so when you're thinking about ungodliness being the default as you think about the messaging or the influence of the world and the words of the world, that's just natural. You look at Ephesians 2.12, and the end of that verse says that people who are without God are described as having no hope because they're without God in the world. See, to be without God is to be ungodly. The one living apart or in opposition to God is naturally advancing a different cause and has an alter- alternate purpose behind his words. So when you think about the words of the world, they're sourced in ungodliness because they're not sourced in the Father. And you see the danger is all around. The danger is all around. You see that in verse 8a. The wicked prowl on every side. When you think about living in this world, even though you're not of this world, being under the attack of the things that are in opposition to God. And of course, that battle is primarily between the ears, the battle for your thinking. As your thinking is affected and altered and influenced by the thinking of the world, the things of the world, the messaging of Satan himself, then naturally the behavior follows the thinking. But the, the battleground is in your mind, is who's going to have control of or who's going to get a hold of your thinking. So the wicked prowl on every side, that's the circumstance that the believer finds himself in, living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So what's the takeaway? As you, before you even get into the, how the words of the world are described, the takeaway is you need help. And that's why I love that that's the very first word of this psalm. So Psalm 12, 1 starts with, Help, Lord! Help, Lord! And the question is, do you recognize what you're up against? Is that the posture that you're adopting where you see, I am at risk here. I am without strength to combat this on my own, but with the power of the Spirit of God on my side, nothing, there's nothing that I can't stand against, not because of me, but because of His strength protecting me, working in and through me, shielding me, guarding me, never letting me go, surrounding me. And so as I, as I think about that, it should give me this posture of not I but Christ. I can't do this without you, Lord. And is that your posture? Help, Lord. Do you recognize your need? As you sit here tonight, are, are you being reminded of just the odds or, or just what you're up against, that what the opposition really is, and, and how great the enemy is that you're facing from within and from without? Is that driving you back to your knees, back to the Lord, and back to a posture of, Dependence, do you see the danger? Well, I, I hope you do. Now, the thing that should also be sobering is that even believers are led astray by the words of the world. You talk about these two influences, godly influences, ungodly influence. Believers are not immune from the influence of ungodliness, the influence of the world around them. And you see that with verse 1b as we go into the end of that verse then. So it says this, for the ungodly man ceases, or sorry, for the godly man, not the ungodly man, for the godly man ceases. So help, Lord, not because the enemy, the evil, the unbelievers, the ungodly are so fierce. It's that the godly man is ceasing and the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. That's what David is witnessing happening in this nation, in the nation of Israel. This the, this covenant nation that has a special place in God's heart has been given this special mission to be lights to the Gentile nations, to shine as lights, just like we as members of the church age have been tasked with being ambassadors for Jesus Christ, shining as lights among, in the darkness and among those who are without God in this world, to shine the glorious light of Jesus into those places and spaces. That was the mission of the nation of Israel too. And he's watching the godly man cease and the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Those are two interesting phrases that are being used to describe Israel's corporate shift away from God. And one of the things that I hope we can recognize or be aware of is that that potential exists even within this local church. The potential to progressively go from trusting the Lord, depending on the Lord, seeing your sufficiency as only in the Lord, seeing your strength as only in the Lord, to independence and to moving in a direction that is focused on self and it's being directed by self, 
That's possible with any believer individually, but then corporately it's possible that the tone or the focus or the shift could occur even to describe the corporate mentality or direction of a local church, the whole, the whole local church. There's real danger there. And see, turning away from the Lord happens gradually within faith communities, just like it happened gradually within the nation of Israel as well. It starts with some people turning away, and pretty soon it becomes all have turned away. And I want to show you that very vividly in the way that Paul talks in the New Testament. We're going to actually spend some time on this, because I want us to really see that there's a great danger here, there's a great need here of being influenced by the thinking of the world or the words of the world. So turn to 1 Timothy. <coughs> We're going to go through about five or six passages in 1 Timothy, and I want to show you the difference between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And when I came across this in my study, it reminded me of what David was talking about here as he talks about the faithful are disappearing, and the godly man is ceasing. Let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at verse 3. 1 Timothy 1, 3. I just want you to see that some is going to turn into all. And we could have done it with fewer verses, but I think you'll like this progression. 1 Timothy 1, 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Already we have some that are shifting from the truth of God's word to fables. They're, teach, they're shifting from God's truth to Satan's lies. Go to verse 6. Verse 6, from which some, having strayed, having, have turned aside to idle talk, empty talk. How many? Some. It's not everyone, but some. Look at verse 19. Having faith and good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. You're saying somebody that was a part of the faith community, the family of faith, could have the effect of a train wreck, a car crash, or a shipwreck in their spiritual life? And the answer is yes. Is that saying that they've lost their salvation? No, it's saying they've strayed from the faith. It's saying they're not being influenced by godly things anymore. They've fallen under the influence of the wicked one under the sway of the, of the wicked one. Turn to chapter 4. I want to show you a few more examples. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some, there's our word some again, will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You're saying even believers can be bamboozled? Even believers can be deceived? Yeah, they can be. Turn to chapter 5, look at verse 15. This is very stark. It says, For some have already turned aside after Satan. That's the, that's the reality of being consumed by the messaging and the influence of the world. The sad, tragic reality is that when your mind is under the influence of the things that are in opposition to God, then when your thinking is in agreement with that, you are effectively promoting the cause of the enemy even though you're God's child. Sobering, but true. And this was happening with some. Look at chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root, not the root, of all kinds of evil. Now, is it money in general? No, it's the love of money, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Meaning, is the one who is rejecting God, who is God's child, is that person experiencing joy and peace? Is that person experiencing happiness while they're fighting against God and they know better? No, that's why the carnal believer is more miserable than the unbeliever when he's fighting against God because God's Spirit is inside of him convicting him that this isn't the road for you, son. But while man, a man is in that place or that mentality where they're rejecting and fighting against God, they're absolutely miserable. And you often find that about true about yourself when you're not experiencing fellowship with God. You're kind of a miserable person to be around. I'm not saying that. Others have told me that about you. 
That's definitely true of me. You're no fun to be around. I'm no fun to be around. Because it's not God who's working in and through us in those moments. It's self that's taken the position of focus, preeminence. So there's our sums. Now turn to 2 Timothy. I wanted to show you how turning away from the Lord was happening in the nation of Israel, but let's not have this proud attitude that says this couldn't happen to me. It couldn't happen to this church. Because some gradually becomes all. 2 Timothy 1.15 2 Timothy 1.15 it says, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. And then he names two among whom are Philegius and Hermogenes. So why name those two when all of them have turned away? Unknown, but maybe they were the ringleaders in it. But not some, all have turned away. Turn to chapter 4. Another description of the corporate body of Christ, not just an individual. Look at verse 3. Paul's warning that the time will come when they, the church, will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. There's your two options right there. You can be influenced by the words of the world, the messaging of Satan himself, or your flesh in opposition to the things of truth, or you can be influenced by God's truth, God's Word. But they're going to turn away from the truth, meaning they knew the truth, and they're going to be turned aside to what is false or fables. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says, At my first defense... No one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So what have we seen here? We've seen that it is common, it's a common danger that Christians face where they're in a position where they gradually are influenced by the thinking of the the world. The thinking of the world is communicated through messaging. How is the thinking of the world communicated? Through words. So the words of the world are speaking ungodliness, the things that are without God or are opposite of what God says are true. And believers need to recognize their own vulnerability. You see, you are not immune to manipulation. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Now why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, who is this being written to? It's being written to believers. Believers need to recognize their vulnerability. Satan is trying to influence believers. The messaging or the words of the world are seeking to get a hold of the thinking of believers. The other thing that you should recognize as you think about your own vulnerability, because you'll never trust the Lord and His provision for your victory or your success if you don't see that you're vulnerable. You have to remember that not only are you not immune from being manipulated, but Satan is far more clever than you are. Sometimes we think, uh, he can't get a hold of me. I know all his tricks. Is that a fact? He's not a one-trick pony. He is the father of all lies. He is capable of deceiving you too. He is capable of even pulling off a deceit that is so insidious that he causes you to think that you're doing what's right or pursuing what's right or thinking about what's right or being influenced what's by what's right, when in fact it's just another form of worldliness in disguise. Touch on that in a second. We'll call that sanctified worldliness. And if you're familiar with 2 Corinthians 11, 14, it says, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He's talking about those that are deceiving or distracting believers with false teaching. Now, why would that be any surprise? Because Satan himself can He's like a chameleon. 
he can disguise himself as good, light, bright things, even though they're dark, evil, ungodly things. So you can't have this mentality that you're more clever than Satan. No, he's more clever than you, which is why you're not going to lean on your own understanding. You're going to trust the Lord to give you victory over that influence and that messaging of the world. The other thing to bear in mind in terms of your own vulnerability is that your flesh is far more deceitful than you recognize. Your flesh is far more deceitful than you recognize. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But that's not the part I'm getting at. It ends with the phrase, Who can know it? Question mark. Meaning, you're not even aware of the depths of the depravity of your flesh. So, how could you stand guard against that without the influence of the Spirit of God and the resources of God working in and through you? You wouldn't. So, you have to recognize your vulnerability. The other aspect of recognizing your vulnerability is to realize that information or messaging is never presented neutrally. So, think about the messaging or the content that you're taking into your life. Lots of different sources of of that messaging, but think about it even for maybe a second now. Like what today, what were the what was the sources of content or messaging that you were exposed to? Could have taken a lot of different forms. Could have been disguised as news. Could have been something that you accessed in an actual hard copy paper. Could have been something that you saw on a television, you read, maybe online. Oftentimes, the messaging takes the form of communications that you have with other people who said something to you. Every word that they said represented some sort of messaging. It could have been on God's side of it or it could have been the words of men. But it was content that you took into your mind that went, in one, went into your ear and then stewed around in your mind one way or the other. You saw, as you drive around, you see a lot of messaging on billboards. You see it on commercial, the commercialization of things in terms of signs as you drive by gas stations and what have you, businesses. You see those kinds of things. You see them on bumper stickers. It's everywhere. If you really think about it, it's all around you. You might have read a book. You might have picked something up that you looked at that was in a book format. You might have listened to an audio presentation of some kind. You might have been listening to the radio. Those are just some examples. Social media. But there was messaging that was coming in and none of it was neutral. Let me say that again. None of it was neutral. If we're talking about a battle, a spiritual battle for your thinking, and then any content that you took in that came from a worldly source, it had a purpose behind it. There was an effort on the part of that messaging ultimately sourced in the control and the influence of Satan himself to manipulate your perception about something. It was not neutral. So the question becomes, where are you getting your information? What are you allowing into your thinking? What is the predetermined bias or objective behind the messaging that you're digesting? You digest a bunch of things. What is the perspective or the bias or the objective behind it? And have you even thought about that? Where is it ultimately sourced? Where where did that messaging come from? Was it sourced in God Himself, or was it sourced in this world? There's only two options. Where was it ultimately sourced? Did it represent human or worldly viewpoint, or did it represent divine viewpoint? And you think about Christian vulnerability. uh, There's a couple of things that really come to mind that I've experienced in my own life, and perhaps you've seen it in yourself. But sometimes we're, we're really vulnerable because of things like we just don't consider what was the ultimate source behind this messaging. A thing that gets us is often is called confirmation bias, where we already have predetermined ideas about things. 
We have opinions that are strongly held. They're deeply held opinions, perspectives. Uh, Sometimes we sanctify it a little bit by using the word, uh, this is this is something I've purposed in my own heart. Uh, this is a principle. This is a principle that I have. But as you think about those things, what is the ultimate source behind them? Where did you get it from? Where did they get it from, the person that you got it from? Was it sourced in the divine or is it sourced in this, in this world? And so if I have a confirmation bias, I'm naturally seeking out to consume I want to consume messaging that aligns with what I've already concluded. Now, that could be a good thing if you have a conclusion that is sourced from God Himself, that is sourced in God's Word, that can be verified by God's Word, that you can point to a principle or a chapter and verse passaging from God's Word that says, this principle that I have, I'm seeking to have that reinforced by messaging that I come across because I know that that principle is true. But it's true because I I know that it comes from a divine source, a supernatural source, so I can rely upon it. But for the moment, we're talking about information or messaging that is sourced in this world, the words of men. We're going to get to the words of God. But when it comes to the words of men, what do you seek out? You seek out messaging and people that are promoting the same messages that you believe in, that you have been convinced about, that you have a conviction about those things, and, and that's what you seek out. And so then you digest that same stuff over and over and over again. Pretty soon you start, it starts to become kind of a core of who your identity is, a core of who you are. And then the question is, did you ever stop to ask, where, where was this found? Where did this come from? Is this something that is advancing my spiritual well-being? Is this promoting spiritual growth in my life? Or is this just something that came from the world that I cannot support or find in God's Word or confirm in God's Word at all, but it's something that I keep going back to, seeking out more and more messaging about that, even though it's nothing that can benefit me or help me to grow at all. Now, another example, I guess, of this vulnerability is something that I would refer to as sanctified worldliness, where we take certain principles that are ultimately sourced in the world their viewpoints that are ultimately come from man, not from God. The reason we know that because if we're being intellectually honest about it, we say, where did you find this in God's Word? And you say, well, I, I guess it's not in there. But because so many people that you know, or maybe it's common amongst Christians, believe or hold that view about that particular thing, you now syncretize it with the things of faith. So there's certain truths that God has communicated to us in His Word, and He says, then He closed the book and He said, I'm not going to add anything more to this. But we say we're not okay with that because there's these things we've grown up believing, we've heard. A lot of the people that are our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ believe these things, and so they must come from this book. They must be Christian principles. They must be godly principles. Except for if you actually take the time to ask yourself, which passages would I use to support that viewpoint? you're going to struggle. And I've seen it in myself. It hasn't necessarily changed my opinions or my views, but it's changed the way that I've tried to merge them as being synonymous with the things of faith. They're not the things of faith. They're just my personal opinions and viewpoints. They're not things that are sourced in God's Word. But you know what? If you're not careful, you talk about messaging, you talk about the words, the words of man instead of the words of God, you can start putting the words of man and the opinions of man and these viewpoints, you can put them on equal footing with God's truth. And that's very dangerous, and that's Satan disguising himself as an angel of light in many ways. Why? Because ultimately it's distracting you. And Satan's number one tool is to distract the Christian from the things that matter most, to get us consumed with fixated on, talking about, and taking in and digesting messaging that has nothing to do with advancing the cause of Christ. It actually makes a lot of times those things that we're so passionate about that ultimately are not tied to God's God's Word, they're actually a vulnerability when it comes to effectively presenting Christ to others. Because instead of focusing on what we're for, we focused on all of these other opinions or these things that we're against, and it distracts from and prevents us from effectively having a venue or an interaction or 
a conversation with the one who desperately needs to hear about the hope that is in us. See, it's the hope that's in us that has to be our messaging. That has to be the thing that we're fixated on proclaiming. So in any event, what's the safeguard for this? If the Christian is in fact vulnerable, and I hope you saw that here tonight as we went through some of these things, as we're thinking about this influence or the messaging of the world, the words of the world, what is the best safeguard for the Christian if in fact you agree with me that you are vulnerable? If you agree that if everybody else can be manipulated, it only stands to reason that you can be too. So very often we have that perspective that all these other people are being manipulated, but not me. I'm immune to that. They're all weak-minded, so they're susceptible to being manipulated, but I'm not being manipulated. Well, you see how much pride and arrogance there is in that viewpoint? But nonetheless, if you acknowledge that you are vulnerable, and that's the only way to live the Christian life is to see you have a need. That was necessary at a point in time where you had to put your faith in Christ's finished work on your behalf. You could have never been saved unless you ever came to a place where you recognized that you were hopeless apart from Jesus intervening on your behalf to pay a debt that you owed, dying in your place. And as he died in your place, he paid your debt, made it possible for you to experience a life that you did not deserve instead of the death that you deserved, which was eternal separation from God. So at a point in time, you had to see, I have a need. I'm going to spend all of eternity apart from the one who loves me because I'm identified with sin. So unless something is done about my sin, I'm going to have to go to hell or the lake of fire when I die because God can't have sin in his presence. So then you were exposed to the message of good news that Jesus became sin for you. He died in your place. He took all of your sin. He bore it on his own body on the tree. He died in your place and he said, it is finished so that at a point in time that you were convinced I had a need and Jesus was the only solution to meet that need, that the moment I accepted by faith alone this gift that God offered me of eternal life through the person and work of his son, I could be saved. But I couldn't be saved until I recognized that I had a need. You know what? When it comes to Christian living, you can't be saved. You can't have victory in the Christian life until you operate in a mentality that says, Lord, I need you, and continues to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every day, every moment, every hour, I need you. And the moment that you can finally get to that place where you see I'm not sufficient in myself to think of anything as being of myself, but my sufficiency is of God, and that I cannot do this on my own, then in that moment, you're in a place where you recognize that vulnerability and God can give you victory. But what is ultimately the best way to experience that victory? When we're talking about these sources of influence that are bombarding the mind of the Christian, the best safeguard is to remain fixed on God and His truth. Instead of being horizontally focused on the things that are coming from this world which the Bible tells us are not of the Father, they're sourced in Satan himself then I need to go vertical with my thinking and my perspective and my view and my gaze so that I'm looking at God. As I'm looking at Him, then I'd be looking at what He's revealed about Himself, which is the word of truth. And as I'm influenced by His truth, then I would be protected against the attack of the things that are ungodly. So consider whether the things you hear or believe are sourced in the Word of God. That's sort of the main application of remaining fixed on God's truth. Stay connected to the one who is true. Let's look at some verses in John here. we got to speed up a little bit, but John, there's three verses in a row here. They're not in a row, but they're all fairly close in John. Talking about what is our best safeguard against these opposing influences, but specifically the influence of the world, the influence of man's words. Well, we see Jesus speaking in John chapter 15, in verse 7. John 15, 7. Stay connected to the one who is true. That's that's how you go about safeguarding yourself. He says, if you abide in me, that, that means remain connected to. If you abide in me, and now, what's the best way to do that? And my words abide in you. Where do we find the words of God? We find it in the Bible that's in front of us. Now, if I do that, what does it say? You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. There's protection in abiding in him and in his Word. 
Then we see this. If we think about God's truth, we stay connected to him, but then talk about abiding in that truth. Look at John 8. It's a very similar to John 15, 7 there. And again, it's talking about both aspects of this. To abide in truth is to abide in God's word, is to abide in God himself. Remain connected, stay close, lean into him. So John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. But it says this, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, who are we talking about believers, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. How do you know it? Because you're abiding in God's word. And the truth shall make you free. So, so many people will tattoo that on their arms, tattoo that on their bodies. The truth will set you free. Except for you're skipping the most important part. You have to know the truth first. How do you know the truth? You abide in God's word. You abide in my word. If you do that, then you'll know the truth. So you're thinking about protecting yourself from these influences. There's another one. So stay connected to the one who is true. Abide in his truth. And then allow the Spirit to protect and direct you. Look at John 16. A couple of pages. John 16, 13. Allow the Spirit to protect and direct you. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. How can I avoid Satan's lies? How can I avoid being influenced by ungodly things? Well, I allow the Spirit of truth to guide me into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. And then you think about what will the natural byproduct of all that be? Then speak the truth in love, meaning as you are influenced by God's Spirit as you're abiding in fellowship, then you can be to other believers a source of protection because the things that you will be speaking are the things that are connected to God's truth. Zechariah 8.16 says, These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. See, God wants us to then speak the truth as the Spirit of God speaks in and through us God's truth. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So there's the protection there, that believers would speak truth amongst themselves. The Spirit would protect and direct you. You would abide in God's truth because you would stay connected to the one who is true. And if that's all happening, then you're going to have protection against the vulnerability that you have to the lies of Satan. Now, how are the words of man described here? We're going to go through this quickly. The characteristics of these ungodly influences pick up in chapter uh, Psalm 12, verse 2. Now, what do they do? So, Psalm 12, 2. They, it starts off with, they speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. And that literally means they all lie or speak falsely to their neighbors. That's a characteristic about the messaging or the influence of men or the words of men on one another. The underlying purpose is to promote self or an underlying agenda. And deception can come from within the local church as well. We've touched on that a little bit. But another passage you see about that is Acts 20.30. It says, Also from among yourselves, now where will it come from? From among yourselves, men will rise up speaking what? Speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. What are the motives? They're self-seeking, self-promoting, selfish motives. And where will it come? It'll come from within. But the idea is deception. They'll speak lies to one another. What's another characteristic of the messaging of men? Is with flattering lips and double heart they speak. So you see, flattery is nothing more than manipulation. It's things spoken with the desire to manipulate. A double heart refers to speaking with deceit or deception, meaning you're du it's double speak. You're not meaning what you're saying. You're trying to promote something else besides the truth. Now, what's another description in verse 3? Look at verse 3. They speak proud things. Now, you have to insert they speak, but we're talking about 
the way that the language of man or the words of man are demonstrated through proud things. They speak proud things. See, naturally, rejection of God involves an element of pride. In Jude 16, it says, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. See, you speak these words with an underlying motive, which is to lift self up. That's descriptive of the words of men. The underlying message of Satan is ultimately that. It's focused on pride. It's focused on elevating self instead of elevating Christ. The underlying message of Satan is really that man doesn't need God. He says, in effect, you are your own God. You are the final authority in your own life. You determine your own truth, your own path. You do that. You don't need anyone else to do it. So Satan, and therefore the messaging of the word, of the world, it promotes autonomy and it refuses to acknowledge any form of divine authority. That's a characteristic of the words of men. And you see that in these next three phrases. It's characterized by each of these phrases, but they say, we have to insert that, we will prevail with our tongue in verse 4. They say, our lips are our own, verse 4. They say, who is Lord over us? That's the way that you see that being described, this idea that you are your own authority. Nobody can boss you. Nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody, who, nobody can knows more than you or could direct you in any way. Now, what's the last description of the words of men? Vileness is exalted among the sons of men. You see that in the last part of verse 8 at the end. Vileness is exalted among the sons of man. You see, this is the natural byproduct of mankind turning from the Lord. Rejecting God is openly promoted and glorified. That's what happens as man reje mankind rejects God. And it's, it's seen in their messaging, the messaging of the world, ultimately the messaging of Satan. Ungodliness is exalted without shame. Things once done in secret are now celebrated openly. The things that God condemns are now nearly universally accepted. This is what happens when God's truth is exchanged for Satan's lies. Do you see any examples of that in the world around us? You see it and you hear it everywhere you go, every single day, but I'll tell you this, it's nothing new either. Romans chapter 1 says that mankind has sought in rejection and rebellion against God to exchange God's truth for Satan's lies since the very beginning. Man has been told, you are your own God from the very beginning. God doesn't really love you. You don't really need God. He's not, he doesn't have your best interests at heart. You do you started in the Garden of Eden. And it's permeated the world ever since. Now, we see different expressions of it at different times, and we're seeing that even in our country here today, where things that were once done in secret are now celebrated openly. Where ungodliness is exalted without shame, that didn't used to be the case. The things that God said were false, God said were wrong, they were at least held up by a number of people within this country, perhaps even a majority of people within this country, not saying that all of them understood even the gospel message, not all of them had even put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, but they were taught, they were brought up to exalt Christian views and Christian principles. We were considered to be a Christian nation. So naturally then the things that were done that were diametrically opposed to what God said was right, they were naturally done in secret because people were ashamed of that, because society itself didn't accept those things. But now those things you're told to celebrate those things. You're told that if you're really all in on this, that you better promote it. You better wear it as a badge of honor on your sleeve and not be content to allow anybody to even disagree with you about the godliness of what you're doing. That's the messaging of the world today. But it's not necessarily unique in that sense. Now let's look at the contrast here. I hate to have this be just like a passing go through it quickly, but the contrast to the words or the thinking or the influence of the world is the influence of the words of the Lord. Let's read verses 5 through 7. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. 
You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. So did David trust the Lord? Did he trust that the Lord's, that he could take to the bank God's truth? That even though he saw ungodliness around him, even though he saw the influence of the world and he saw the thinking of the world being declared by the programming or the messaging or the speaking or the language of the world, that God's truth was where true life could be found, where deliverance could be found, where peace and joy and purpose could be found, that he could rest in God's truth even in the face of the opposition? And the answer is, yeah, he seems to have seen that and understood that. See how this is contrasted. See, God alone can provide deliverance from ungodly influences. You see that in verse 5, for the sighing of the needy. What does that speak to? The same thing it starts with, help, Lord, that there's a need here as the righteous are being bombarded by the world around them. It says, what is God going to do? I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. God alone can provide the rescue from this opposition, this battle that the man of faith is facing. Now, I want you to note this. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. Does that mean that God is going to answer or undertake to provide in exactly the ways that you think would be best? Does he even respond to David in the ways that David thinks might be best? You see, David has this perspective of God needs to punish those that are standing against him. He, you see that in the language of may the Lord cut off all the flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. He wants them cut off, which could speak to be eliminated. But that's David's human perspective. God, as he looks at this, he has David's spiritual best interests at heart. He has your spiritual interests at heart. He will rescue you. He will provide you safety, the safety that you yearn for, but not necessarily the means of safety that you're looking for. The other thing to see here is that God helps you combat Satan's lies by providing you with his truth. And you see that with the words of the Lord are pure words. There's not any taint to them at all. They're like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. That has a protective effect on you. That's the thing that can give you victory as you face being bombarded by these influences of the world that are all opposed to the things of God and are unhelpful to your spiritual well-being and your spiritual growth. You see John 17, 17 speaks about how God's Word is the thing that can provide you with protection against Satan's lies. In John 17, 17, Jesus is praying and He says to the Father, sanctify them, meaning those who have put their faith in Him. Sanctify them how? By your truth. And then He says, your Word is truth. Here we have a connection there. The words of the Lord, in contrast to the words of man, the words of the Lord are truth. They're the thing that can provide victory and can lift you out of the depravity of the messaging of the world around you. Sanctify them. Sanctify. Set them apart. Protect them by your truth, which is found in your word. See, God's deliverance also is focused on your spiritual well-being. It says, you shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. Now, in that same passage in John 17, Jesus, as he's speaking, says, I do not pray that you should take them out of this world, but I want you to sanctify them or protect them from the evil one while they're in this world. You see, Jesus has a mission for you. It doesn't involve taking you out of this world. It involves protecting you with God's truth while you're in the midst of this crooked and perverse world. And that's why God is focused on your spiritual deliverance from these ungodly influences that you face. Now, how does that happen? Through God's truth, through access to God's truth, through the spirit of truth, for, through speaking the truth with other believers that is sourced in God's word, not just sourced in your opinion about what is true. See, God's words ultimately illuminate your thinking and they produce spiritual growth. Psalms 119.130 says, The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So the victory is found in the words of the Lord because the words of the Lord are pure and because the words of the Lord are truth and that's how the enemy is ultimately combated. So you think about opposing influences. Ask yourself, what are your primary sources of influence? Ask yourself, has it been the words of the Lord? Or has it been just another variation that was deceptive even 
of the thinking of man or the words of men. Truly ask yourself, what have I been taking in? What has been influencing me? What is the messaging that I've been listening to? And where is it really sourced? And have I been naive about that? Have I been deceived about that? See, God's truth that is communicated by His Spirit through His Word and through speaking with others should be your primary source of influence. May that be true. I hope that's the takeaway that you have here as you think about opposing influences. Which are you going to allow to influence you tomorrow? Is it going to be God's truth, which are pure, or is it going to be the words of the world which are vile and their exalting wickedness? Which is it going to be? By God's grace, I hope that we can keep turning back to God's Word as we're bombarded with the messaging of the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for our time that we could spend here. Thank You for even allowing us this opportunity to be in Your Word. I pray that we would take from it, not just have it come in one year and out the other. Pray that we would meditate on these things, allow you to challenge our thinking about these things, cause us to actually take an inventory of what things we're allowing to come into our mind, come into our ears, to potentially influence us. Pray that we would choose to fill our minds with your truth, that we would see our needs, see how vulnerable we are, and we would have an attitude that says, I need you, Lord. And we would allow God's Spirit then to work inside of us to make us even aware of things that we don't even know about. We, we're not even, we're not, it's not even on our radar, but you could convict us of those things so we could make necessary changes in our life through your power and we could be drawn nearer to you. We could grow in grace and in knowledge and understanding as we spend